They took to the streets as they had in 1789 and 1830, only this time they successfully established a revolutionary government. Between March 18th and May 28th, 1871, the French capital of Paris was ruled by what was called the Commune, a government, to borrow words from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, of the people, by the people, for the people. For just over two months, this fledgling establishment battled it out with the French army in the streets of the city, ultimately amounting to several hundred thousand casualties. What led up to the establishment of the so-named Paris Commune? What did it accomplish during its brief existence? And what finally brought it down? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. When the Franco-Prussian War broke out on July 17, 1870, it was the first large-scale conflict to grip Europe in 60 years. Following the Kingdom of Prussia's victory over Austria in 1866, France's position as the key power player slash dominant force on the continent seemed precarious. Prussia, a monarchy in what's now northeastern Germany, was intent on wrenching control of the German states from the Austrians. With the defeat and conquest of Austria, the Prussian Empire nearly doubled in size, an event that the French felt was too close for comfort for their liking. Whether the French themselves declared war entirely on their own volition, or the Prussian Chancellor, Otto von Bismarck, deliberately provoked them into doing so remains the subject of debate. Whichever story one chooses to believe, Emperor Napoleon III, the reigning French monarch at the time, ultimately made the proverbial first move to mobilize. In just over six months, however, the war was over. The outcome was a disastrous defeat for the French, resulting in the fall of the Second French Empire and the formation of the French Third Republic. In addition, the country was forced to pay billions of francs in war reparations, as well as cede territories in the Rhineland, the natural boundary between France and Germany, over to Prussian control. The border region of Alsace-Lorraine in particular was reluctantly relinquished, and morale among the French was at an all-time low. It was in this political climate that the distant rumblings of the Paris Commune began to echo and reverberate. Throughout the duration of the conflict, the French National Guard had protected the city, as threats of a Prussian invasion seemed increasingly imminent. But everything reached a fever pitch on September 2, 1870, when the Emperor, Napoleon III, was captured in the Battle of Sedan. As word of this reached the French capital, angry mobs took to the streets to express their shock and dismay. This event almost single-handedly brought about the demise and collapse of the Second Empire, as the acting regent in his absence, his wife, the Empress Eugenie, fled the city. With all semblances of order having been tossed out the window, the French Parliament's National Assembly hastily put together an acting government of national defense, one that would ultimately go on to become the famed Third Republic. But not everyone was satisfied with this transition. In the elections held in the country a year prior in 1869, the results showed a staggering split between the rural, more conservative population and the urban, radical population. The former, known as the Bonapartists, supported the legitimacy of the imperial French crown, hence the name Bonaparte as part of its moniker, while the latter, known as the Republicans, favored the formation of a populist government that did away with the monarchy entirely, as well as diminished the sway of the Catholic Church and put power back into the hands of the people. In the case of Paris, it had been a landslide victory for the Republicans, with 234,000 votes against 77,000 for the Bonapartists. Needless to say, this outcome bred considerable tensions between working-class Parisians and the elite. Of the two million inhabitants in the city at the time, some 500,000, a whopping 15% of France's total workforce, were industrial workers. Another 300,000 to 400,000 worked in other industries such as furniture, construction, and textiles. Still more worked for small companies or in the service industry, specifically as concierges in hotels and restaurants, or as servants to the rich. To make matters worse, when the war broke out, the wealthy were able to flee the city, as they had the means to do so. This left the working class behind to essentially fend for themselves. 
It was this fuel that ultimately stoked the flames of support for what would become the Paris Commune. As stated in the opening of this episode, the French capital was no stranger to protest or political uprising. In 1789, angry citizens stormed the Bastille and freed its prisoners before arming themselves against the tyranny and oppression of the French crown. In 1830, several student and worker uprisings drew attention to the ills of French politics of the day. It was from this latter batch of protests that the distant rumblings of the Paris Commune drew inspiration. Most, if not all Parisian workers, supported a democratic republic, as they felt that the French capital should have its own elected council, and therefore be self-governing. Such a concept had been enjoyed by several smaller French towns and cities, but had largely been deterred for the capital by the national government, fearing that giving too much power to the populace would have disastrous consequences. On the contrary, the opposite was true, as the demand for rights and an end to the monarchy grew increasingly more widespread among the Parisian working class. It was at this time that several socialist organizations came about to not only rally behind the workers, but to also secure their rights. One such organization, and arguably the most influential, was known as the First International. Assembled in 1864, it first leapt onto the political stage three years later, when it led a strike against Parisian employers of bronze workers, with the former having attempted to deunionize the latter. Word soon spread around the country of this fledgling organization, which quickly garnered sympathy, support, and followers from towns and cities nationwide. It was such quote-unquote radicalized workers as these who would go on to form the backbone of the Paris Commune's populist leadership. But it wasn't just socio-political upheaval that would ultimately cause the people to declare that enough was enough. The days leading up to the Franco-Prussian War were fraught with tensions between the public and the government. One particular incident that added fuel to the flames of anti-Bonapartist sentiment was the killing of one Victor Noir in January of 1870. A journalist who was critical of Napoleon III and his regime, Noir was killed by none other than Prince Pierre Bonaparte, the emperor's cousin. This led to the arrests of several other journalists who had spoken out against the Bonapartist government, and it wasn't long before they and Noir became the symbols of the pro-Republican cause. Naturally, protests, demonstrations, and even clashes with authorities ensued, though they weren't surprisingly led by the working class. These were largely organized by middle and even a few upper-class factions, who felt that the Bonapartists had gone too far. The German military attaché in Paris at the time, Alfred Ludwig Heinrich Karl Graf von Waldesee, say that a few times fast, recounted in his diary how, quote, Every night, isolated barricades were thrown up, constructed for the most part out of disused conveyances. A few shots were fired at random, and scenes of disorder were taken part in by a few hundreds of persons. Unquote. These selfsame factions even attempted a coup just prior to the conflict, but the outbreak of war put a halt on such plans as patriotic fervor swept through France. But just two months into the war, Prussian forces had not only made the push into France, but also surrounded Paris and had made camp a mere 6,600 feet, or 2,000 meters from the French front lines. By this time, most French troops in the front lines had been taken as prisoners of war, or else were trapped in the northeastern town of Metz, surrounded on all sides by the enemy. While the regular French army, under the command of one General Louis-Jules Trochou, had been dispatched to aid their stranded comrades, the National Guard was tasked with defending Paris. Numbering some 300,000 troops in total, they had little training or military experience in comparison with those on the front lines, or even the regular army. It was also an outfit organized by Parisian neighborhoods, and consisted of a motley crew of upper and middle class troops, as well as those of the working classes. While those from the upper echelons of society tended to favor the Bonapartist government, the working class troops were staunch supporters of a republic system, and it was this latter branch of men who caused dissension in the ranks. The guardsmen in particular were notorious for their insubordination, with some going as far as to refuse wearing the official uniform and insisting on electing their own officers. Perhaps not surprisingly, they would become the Paris Commune's primary armed force. 
With much of the army having been sent to Metz, Paris lay largely undefended. This posed a real threat, as German forces had by that point completely surrounded Paris. The government had only a few troops at their disposal to defend the city, a precarious situation that caused some in the National Guard to rally against the empire. On September 19, 1870, the working-class units marched on the city center, demanding the formation of a new government. There they were met with opposition by those few self-same regiments who were loyal to the Bonapartists. Luckily, no violence broke out, and the protesters ultimately dispersed on peaceful terms. Two successive demonstrations, on October 5th and 8th respectively, ended in much the same way, though they certainly made their dissatisfaction clear. Trying to get a grasp on the predicament, General Tolshu launched a series of attacks on the Prussians in an attempt at breaking their offensive, but to no avail. Instead, the French incurred heavy losses. Desperate to quell the situation, both within and beyond the capital, Defense Minister Leon Gambetta launched himself in a balloon to call for a nationwide resistance against the approaching Germans. While some initially answered his call, devastating news from the front on October 28th brought morale to an all-time low. In Metz, 160,000 French troops surrendered to the Prussians. This, combined with yet another failed attempt to break the enemy siege of Paris, was the last straw. Three days later, on Halloween ironically, the revolutionaries within the National Guard as well as ordinary working-class citizens took to the streets to march toward the city center yet again, where they congregated at the Hôtel de Ville to speak out against the failures of both General Trochu and the government. The day was pouring with rain. Nevertheless, some 15,000 showed up, some of whom were armed, demanding Trochu's resignation as well as the formation of a new government. At one point, shots were fired from the building, into the crowd, narrowly missing Tolshu, and merely adding to the mayhem that was already brewing. Thus, the Hôtel de Ville was stormed, and the protesters began making lists of their proposed candidates. But outside, units of both the National Guard and Garde Mobile, loyal to Tolshu and the Bonapartists, arrived and successfully managed to quell the potential uprising by seizing control of the building, miraculously without the use of violence or deadly force. The crowd simply dispersed and went home, crisis diverted. Ah, but this isn't the end of the tale, dear listeners. For that, you'll have to return next week for part two of the Paris Commune. Please give this and all my previous episodes a listen, as that helps boost my stats. Follow me on Instagram, too, at History Loves Company. That's history underscore loves underscore company. A very happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas to all my practicing followers. May this holiday season bring joy and prosperity to you and your loved ones. Remember to join me again next week to see how the Paris Commune officially formed, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time. Thank you.